0: Welcome to Unframed, the podcast which hosts talks and conversations about South African art and artists. I am your host, Anthea Pokroy. In today's episode, I chat with new media artist and independent curator, Brooklyn J. Pakati. Brooklyn J. explores the relationships we manifest with technologies and, through his practice, examines the formations of enactments with and responses to those manifestations. Working within the fields of mixed realities at Johannesburg's Tomorrow, his practice merges into the collaborative nature of contemporary art making centered around the use and inclusion of digital tools. Tomorrow, spelt T-M-R-W, is a gallery space currently in Keys Art Mile in Johannesburg. And also, as the Mixed Reality Workshop, is a multidisciplinary arts and technology space that engages with the creation, development, Production and Dissemination of Mixed Reality Art Experience. Tomorrow currently has two virtual exhibitions on, which have emerged as a necessity during this COVID-19 pandemic and national lockdown. I will include both links on the episode webpage and in the show notes. Enjoy listening to my conversation with Brooklyn J. Pacati. Hey, Brooklyn. Thank you so much for joining us today for today's episode.
1: Hey, Anthea. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be a part and to chat with you. And um, I guess over the next course of the hour or so, um, just unpack a few things.
0: Yeah, awesome. Thank you. So on today's show, we have Brooklyn J. Pacati, who is a person who does many things in the art and media industries. He is a new media artist, and curator of Tomorrow Gallery. And um, I particularly invited you on the show at this moment because Tomorrow Gallery has two virtual exhibitions on, the one in the gallery's capacity coexistence and the other in the the virtual national arts festival called Refiguring Space. So we'll get to all of that during our conversation. But in the meantime, I wanted you to introduce yourself and ask you, Who is Brooklyn J. Pakati?
1: I guess I'm kind of grappling with this idea of self-identity. And I think especially as this really multifaceted person who's working in numerous fields or working in, in a vast expanse of different practices, I'm constantly grappling with who exactly I am. But really at the heart of who I am right now is I'm a new media artist who's kind of interested in the relationships that we manifest with technology and I'm kind of practicing at least within my work both as an artist and as a curator looking at how new media art and digital art can exist both on and offline but I'm particularly interested in looking at how I can take online work and kind of then reposition it in the gallery space as an offline experience. Mm. So really, I'm this person who's kind of figuring out what the digital means and how to work with it and how to incorporate it, both in my kind of personal capacity as a new media artist, but also in my research and um, curatorial practice.
0: Can you tell us a little bit more about Tomorrow Gallery? What is the pursuit of the gallery and that it focuses on digital media specifically? Right. And tell us how you got involved with it as well.
1: Cool. Um, so, Tomorrow or the Mixed Reality Workshop, um, very interchangeable, but really it's a space that's kind of dedicated to art, predominantly digital art, new media art, and um, mixed reality art, but in its many expanding forms. It's a space that focuses on multidisciplinary arts and technology. It's a space that engages with the creation and the development and the production and the dissemination of mixed reality art or mixed reality experiences. And really, we're at this, um, I hate to say it, but really we're at the intersection of creative technology and visual arts in the sense that we're hoping to make creative technology more accessible to art audiences, but also to art practitioners. So we have really an open door policy where artists and curators and makers can engage with us and um, explore new ideas within their own practices through the use of technology. But also we want to introduce these various forms of technology to audiences that generally sit on the periphery, on the fringe of um, traditional art making. So really, we're trying to... And also, I think we're trying to position South Africa, Southern Africa, the global South as this kind of epicenter of makers and thinkers and, and and doers who are working with technology. Yeah, so really, that's that's really the birth and the history of tomorrow. Mm. And my kind of journey was really when we initially had set up the space with our friends from Eden Labs and uh, formerly Anne Roberts, we were all just interested in our own personal experiences of technology and art making. And we had this common goal to create a space, a physical space where, as I said, audiences and artists can then engage and have access to making this work and viewing this work.
0: I wanted to just ask you, you You mentioned the term mixed reality. Can you maybe elaborate on that? What does that mean to you?
1: So really, when you're working within the fields of MR or XR, which is mixed reality or extended realities, you're introducing some form of digital technology that extends itself into a new space or into a new configuration of what art could be, or at least what technology could be. And mixed reality is kind of the, the, how do I say, the connection or the marriage between the digital and the kind of physical. So mixed reality is something like uh, HDMI, a, a headset that you would then put on um, your face and you can then engage with things that are happening in the real world. So there's always this kind of conversation between the physical body and the digital body.
0: That's super interesting. Okay, I've actually never heard the term mixed reality. Obviously, I've only heard of virtual reality or augmented reality. And I imagine those are part of that.
1: Yes, yeah, so essentially those components then sit in this overarching idea of mixed reality. Mm. So then mixed reality then composes things like virtual reality or um, augmented reality, or rather extended realities, XR then composes these ideas of VR and AR and the whole list um, then continues.
0: Yeah. I mean, you've worked with a lot of really prestigious artists and art spaces, such as the Center for the Less Good Idea what is your experience of, and, and some artists like uh, Mary Sabandi, you can help me think of more, but what is your right. experience of translating these artists' practices into digital spaces? How has that been?
1: Um, I think it's been, if anything, for me personally, at the end of the day, it's been really fulfilling. Really, I know that's not like uh really it's a personal experience but honestly it's been a fulfilling experience Um, but when it comes to them and them making work i think it's also been really gratifying because it's a way in which and i say this all the time when i speak about tomorrow gallery is that we're just interested in how we can extend and expand the artist practice and really, that's what we're there to do, to help the artist or to not even help, just to play and to, to have fun with the artist in making work that sits within side of their kind of being. But there never was really the tools to create this work in the physical. So when you're working with virtual reality, you're essentially working with infinite space to some degree. And the beautiful thing about that is then you can then ideate in ways in which work can be as expansive or as subtractive as it, as you imagine it to be. There are no limitations other than the size of what your idea might be, yeah. if that makes sense. Or the skills so, of the programmer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or the skills of the programmer, or even, I guess, to some degree the size of the actual end product, but Mm. really things can be worked around. But going back to kind of the experiences that I've had just from this kind of satisfaction and kind of gratification of working with the artists is that you're seeing the artists then switch on into a new kind of dimension of what their own practice might be. It's like them unlocking something inside of themselves that they've always held on to, but just couldn't kind of bring to the fore. And having that experience when you're speaking to someone like Mary Sivande, and she says that she's never dreamt about her work until she put on a VR headset. Or you're speaking to someone like Io McCandle, who's just like, I have been thinking about my practice like this for the last five to 10 years. And I never knew that I could do this and this is what I wanted it to be. Yeah. And and seeing her cry tears because she had a breakthrough or working with someone like the center or rather like an institution like the center for the less good idea. And then taking this work that we've created to a place like the Soweto Theater and just seeing children being exposed to a future that is at their fingertips and that's allowing them to think about how they can make art and explore and play and think in new ways, how can I not be grateful for for those experiences?
0: How would you say that Tomorrow Gallery is contributing to the South African art scene? Um you are reimagining kind of the way in which we we view and make and perceive art?
1: I think the way in which we're contributing and once again, I say this quite regularly when I speak about tomorrow and when I speak about our position in Southern Africa is that a lot of what I'm saying is a very singular perspective. And this comes from my own personal kind of experiences with working with artists, working with other institutions, is that we're hoping, and the word access is such an important one, especially, I know we'll speak about it later, but especially with this new exhibition, that's an online exhibition, That can be experienced from your desktop or your mobile phones that we're always wanting to create access. We're always wanting to create new forms of thinking. We're always wanting to create new forms of experiencing. When I when I think about the kind of contribution or impact or whatever it might be that we're doing for art, new media arts, digital arts within Southern Africa, it's thinking about this time when there was a group of other artists from around africa who had never necessarily engaged with tools like vr or ar and an artist from kenya said to me that i didn't know this could be art and that shattered me Mm. because it's just like art is anything that you want it to be and a lot of the time especially in in africa we're we have a very kind of colonial legacy of what art making should be. It's often steeped in very traditional ideas of sculpture and painting and photography. And when photographers are just like, I started photographing because it was my entryway into art. And then I find out that there's something that's much more closer to what I want to align myself with. How, wow, that really just, that really just shakes me at my core. And so to know that, I can, or we can as tomorrow, even just show a small glimpse into what these kind of technologies and futures and possibilities of art making can be. I feel like that's a contribution in some way, is it not?
0: Absolutely. What do you see coming from the new media space and the rest of the continent?
1: I think it's exciting. I think it's it's super exciting because even outside of just new media art. I'm just thinking about the ways in which the continent is engaging with new media or the ways in which the continent is engaging with media at all. And the ways in which they're kind of extrapolating their own form of agency from what the media tools can do for them and what what it could mean for them. It's just so exciting. Like I'm seeing production houses and seeing photographers and seeing 3D artists who are reimagining what the African continent can be through these tools and these technologies. So, whenever something new happens in the space, I'm more than excited and I I just want to welcome it with open arms. And if anything, I want to be able to showcase that work at tomorrow Mm. and invite those forms of work in our space because that's what our space is for for what people are doing and what they're making across the continent. Um, it's super exciting.
0: Yeah. I am going to talk about your, th- these virtual exhibitions and audience engagement and stuff. But let's say pre lockdown, pre COVID, how are you finding your audiences engaging with this solely digital art gallery? Is there a move in the way that people are engaging and understanding the medium?
1: Um, I think it's really, it's a really tricky one because, once again, There isn't necessarily many spaces like this, or at least permanent spaces. There are many spaces that exist for a few weeks, for a festival, for an experience, but there isn't a permanent space quite like ours. With that comes definitely challenges, um, especially because we're not an institution that represents any artists. Mm. We're constantly just trying to make new work or we're constantly just trying to show work that fits in line with what we're hoping to share. So that is tricky in how do we engage with a very kind of fluid curatorial schedule for the year? Every single experience that we put together is new for all of us. There's nothing that we can like replicate at any mm. given point. It's not just like, oh yeah, we don't have an exhibition right now. Let's just pull together a roster of artists and put on the group show. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. So I think on one hand, our space has been a breath of fresh air for art goers, but also for people who, as I've, as I've mentioned before, are wanting to engage with art in new ways or have not been exposed to new media arts or digital art or art that's made through the digital or with the digital. But on the other hand, there are challenges because we're not as familiar. There is this idea of familiarity that audiences are more akin to. Mm.
0: Do you think it's generational?
1: Yes. But no. (laughs) Yes and no. I'm going to say no, because there are, shout out to my senior citizens, but there are a group of people who make it a regular kind of appointment to come to the gallery space when there's a new show. And these are people who are fairly adept with what's happening in the art scene. But a lot of them are just interested in what we're doing in the space. Mm. And a lot of the time, they're just like, I need to bring my grandkids here. I need to bring uh, my scholars here. I need to do this. I need to do that. But there is also definitely, of course, a bigger difference in like, younger folks coming to the space because they can engage with the technology much easier. It's much more easier for them to kind of put two and two together as to how things work. But at any given point, it's quite different, especially because when I think about an older crowd that frequents the space, they really are kind of these loyal, they're loyal to the experience.
0: Mm. Let's actually talk about this physical space of yours and how COVID has made you have to think differently. And what do you think the future for the physical space is? Is there still a necessity to have a physical space?
1: Uh, this is a really hard topic i mean I, I i guess i know I know half of the answer I guess yeah the answer um i guess on on one hand, I often do look at my North American and European counterparts um in terms of spaces that they have that are quite similar, and now, with c nineteen I'm looking at how they might be reintegrating some of these experiences into the gallery space on one hand, I feel quite cautious and hesitant about it because tomorrow is a space that relies on interactivity and immersion. Mm. When you walk into the space, you're putting on headsets, you're touching screens, you're moving left and right, you're engaging with technology. There's as I said, there's 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 just performance that happens as the viewer walks into the space and engages with the space. C19 has really put a new perspective and also a dampener on what It is that we do. Mm. It's just like, how do we make interactive work when really we're supposed to be social distancing? Yeah. How do we make interactive work when we're meant to cover our mouths and protect our eyes and all of these things? So it's really put me in a place where I am feeling super uneasy about what we had hoped to do. But I'm also feeling super hopeful because the space exists out of this idea of experimentation and play and i'm now interested in experimenting and playing with artists who might not necessarily work with the tools of virtual reality or augmented reality but how can we then rekind of condition this idea of what ar might be how can we make an augmented reality experience that doesn't necessarily use something like a device mm-hmm. but could use things like scale things like collage, things like proportion, how can we work with, we've definitely previously have worked with ideas of sound, of volume of light. How can we reintegrate those same exhibition models into the space while still respecting the necessity for social distancing and caution?
0: That leads us nicely to talk about these two exhibitions that you've put together, curated, designed. I don't know, what's yeah. the word, you know, when you're making a digital All virtual exhibition? <laughs> and so, so tell me how that experience was, putting those two shows on. And I'd love to know also a little bit of the technical side. Like, how do you create a virtual yeah. exhibition? And then yeah. also conceptually, what was your process there?
1: Um, I think the first one, rather, with coexistence, there is an exhibition essay um, that I'm putting out um, regarding the exhibition of coexistence. And I was kind of really sitting uh, on the sidelines and looking at this kind of very comical adoption to the internet by commercial institutions where it's just like, oh no, the gallery needs to close. Have you guys ever heard of this thing that's called the internet? And it's just like are you serious? <laughs> like, are, you, are, you, are you serious? Like, what are you, what do you mean? Like, we've been here. And especially when you look at digital artists, um, this community of digital artists who've lived on the internet their whole time, even just thinking about when people ask, like, is digital art still alive? Is it still a thing? Like, what what does that mean? <laughs> what, what? So really, coexistence was just like, we even purposefully chose not to put a show out as we went into um, lockdown and global quarantine, just because it felt like there was misconceived urgency by a lot of institutions to just be online. Once again, in my in my personal capacity as someone who works with digital health, um, internet safety, etc., I felt that we were quite saturated at the time by content, by Zoom calls, by IG lives, that it would be irresponsible of tomorrow who works at the intersection of the digital to then overload viewers with another digital experience at the time. Mm. So we purposely chose to wait. Really, it was two months that we waited um, until we put the show together. But as I was saying, the show was really about this idea of the physical and the virtual coexisting the fact that it was also kind of a critique to the global adoption of like the internet as an art first space it was just like cool having an exhibition as a bunch of pictures as a gallery on facebook is not an exhibition Mm. that's just a portfolio like (laughs) that's just a collection of images so really it was just like us critiquing but also responding to what was happening online and showing these alternative modes of making an exhibition experience. Then with the Virtual National Arts Festival, it was really quite similar. Of course, the curatorial premise was different, but it was about how can we have an experience that contributes to the Virtual National Arts Festival that exists virtually, especially because that's what we are. We say that's who we are rather. Technically, however, it was really challenging. Um, So with something like the Virtual National Arts Festival, we employed the use of Mozilla Hubs, which is an open source community building platform where anyone can contribute to the greater kind of foundations of what web VR is. So web VR is virtual reality that's experienced via the web. And we then, or rather I then, worked with mozilla hubs to interpret a specific gallery exhibition that exists virtually that when you interact and engage with it it brings together or merges something that's really familiar like the physical gallery space to something that's imagined and seeing artists work in a space that they potentially would not have been both virtually and physically yeah seeing like work like sound and video interact together was something that was very kind of well thought through um, to tell this idea of how can works exist within the virtual space and then looking at the refiguring space exhibition how do they occupy space Mm -hmm. not just as objects but also as messages particularly when you're looking at President Honey's work and looking at the Black body, we're looking at what's happening across the world with Black Lives Matters and everything in, in that regard. It's just like now is a really important time for Black voices. And that I, I'm not sure if anyone really picks up, but it's a fully Black exhibition where yeah. Black artists are occupying space both with their own bodies, but also through their voices and through their works. And a lot of them are occupying digital space, like Instagram feeds and Twitter feeds. And I'm just like, how then do we even take that work and put it into the gallery?
0: Mm-hmm. Just a quick technical question. Does that space exist or is it a completely imagined? Oh, no.
1: Because it's, all... it's
0: so it's so beautiful. They're all
1: imagined. Oh my God. They're all imagined. It would
0: be so <laughs> amazing to have a space like that. Like both of them. I mean, I'm specifically yeah, thinking so. of the VNAF show, Refiguring Space. Like, is, is that yeah, the way?
1: imagined. The thing is, there was a point where I was just like, it would be cool to recreate the Tomorrow Gallery space. But also, why would I? <laughs> like, yeah, like the, you can make the anything. sky's your you limit. Can literally, exactly. You can make literally anything.
0: I mean, the limitlessness of it is almost a bit overwhelming. Like, where do you begin? Like, how do you even begin to start imagining the kind of space that the exhibition can occupy?
1: Exactly. And I think if you notice in the coexistence statement, I I did mention, like, take your time, like, come back to this at any given point, like, spend two minutes and leave and then come back and spend 20 minutes and, like, go up to the walls and look at, like, the details and, Look at like the frames uh, around the works, um, listen to the audio, leave, and then come back. Like Really take it in, because it is this form of imagination and play. And I think when you start experimenting with your imagination, really anything is possible, as cliched and uh, cheesy as that might sound. And I think also, because it's so limitless, it does make it quite overwhelming for me as the creator and the curator to imagine where do I start? Yeah. So trust me, there was lots of like uh, drafts and edits.
0: So we just mentioned a little bit about the possibilities of kind of imagining the work to exist in any kind of space. Can you maybe speak a bit more about other possibilities as well as the limitations of creating an experience like this?
1: So really, when it comes to possibilities, I think it's the case of whatever you can imagine, you can create So a lot of the initial spatial timing was me just drawing different configurations of what I would want the user to walk through. Sometimes I created spaces that were too big, that really just made it quite pointless for this specific exhibition. However, if I'm looking or if I'm thinking about some other works, there is a curator from Montreal, if I'm not mistaken, Cassie McClater, who has the Virtual Dream Center And she puts together these application-based exhibitions that use digital space. And each specific artwork is a completely different 3D rendered space. And it's about working with the possibilities of 3D rendering of light, of size and scale proportion. I mention this a lot because that's really what it is, as well as expansiveness. The challenges, however, are that... When you're creating spaces like this, size is a big thing, of course. Um, Data processing is a big thing. So with the Virtual National Arts Festival, that's being hosted via cloud processing software, which really many people have adopted in their business practices today outside of gallery institutions or art art institutions, Um, if you think about financial banking, auditing, whatever it might be. The cloud is a big, it's very instrumental in how we process data. But when you're working with documents versus working with 3D objects, then it becomes a bit more tricky. Mm. With the coexistence exhibition, we made it so that you can download the exhibition and view it from your computer at any given point. The download size is quite big. I mean, it's relative to the same size that you would a really small game. That you install on your computer, because that's really what it is. It's about the gamification and the codification of the virtual world. So, on that hand, if you were to experience the exhibition and you were needing to download the exhibition, but you don't have the bandwidth or the capacity to download a file that's 1.5 gigabytes, it can be a challenge. It can be kind of a, a barrier to entry. Or, with once again, with like the cloud processing. I need to kind of imagine how many people might engage with the work and then have instances that then respond to that. So if CNAF is having... 10,000 people per day, I need to make sure that the cloud processing can handle that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So those are some of the challenges. But really, I try my best to kind of mitigate them. Mm. That's why offering both a desktop experience that can be viewed via your browser, but also offering you an application experience that once you've downloaded, you don't ever need to go onto the internet again and engage with it
0: you mentioned access and issues of access to data and but there's also an element of digital literacy that is needed which is also you know an issue in our country on the continent and i consider myself a fairly digitally literate person, but I it took me quite a while to figure out how to navigate the Refiguring Space exhibition, because it was a bit different to the Coexistence exhibition, like the interface and the movement, I think. yeah. And it took me quite a while to, like, realize, and then I had to go to the question mark at the bottom, you know, so there is really uh, this kind of question of digital literacy.
1: Interesting. I'm going to say, like, honestly, so if you look at the first one, there is kind of directions as to how it works. Um, with the v n a f it 's really just up down left right, and you're <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh i was using i was using w a s w a s d
1: you can use either
0: I think I have a tendency to ignore pop ups because <laughs> it's like yeah. you know we have this like pop up overload and whenever there's yeah. a pop up window, I think I just close it immediately because it 's just like an instinct, yeah. and I think that 's what yeah. happened. I think when I first entered, there was a pop up and I closed it, expecting that I would just know how to do it, but i didn't. Right.
1: But you're not the first. You're definitely not the first to have um, had challenges with the VNAF one.
0: This issue of digital literacy and being able to navigate digital space is a skill that needs to be learned and fostered. It is.
1: And it is true. Like, I I think, as I said, it, it was really kind of purposeful that it wasn't as on the nose as the other one. So the other one, off the bat, it says, up, down, left, right, do this, do that to engage. Whereas this one, really, it was quite brief. And it was just like explore. And I guess it was a form of experimentation because also like these are quite new experiences for tomorrow that we've created to see how people might adopt the technology and to what degree. So seeing some people who are just like, I went to the experience and I struggled to experience it versus others who came back and at the end of it never ever mentioned that they had challenges. Maybe they did, but we're just like, wow, that was really quite refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, But yes, digital literacy is very important. And I think that's something that what you raised is uh, very critical.
0: You know, you spoke about tomorrow being so emphatic about sensory and immersion. And how do you feel about the way in which this exhibition maybe doesn't do that or does it in a different way, perhaps?
1: I think it definitely does it, but it does it in a different way. And I think the way in which it does it lends itself to once again a keyword access and when i say access is because the reality is tomorrow is situated behind really large black glass windows in suburban rosebank where there is already kind of a hesitancy for many people in the area to walk through those doors mm because they feel like they don't belong. So having an experience in an exhibition like this makes it much more easier for the art, for the viewer rather, for the audience to not worry about how they look, what skin color they are, what social class they are, because these are a lot of the factors that kind of stop them from walking into the gallery space already. Mm. Just looking at a lot of kind of tutter speak in relation to the experience, seeing artists across the globe be like, wow, this is, for them, immersive. This is grand. This is big. This is large. This is democratized. And I I use that word a lot. It's democratized because my work can exist in a gallery space in a way in which I don't think I would ever have had access to or I would ever be afforded to as Mm -hmm. an artist. And also realizing that there's a legitimacy in what tomorrow does as an art institution So having this portrayal of your work as part of a museum or a gallery, even though it's virtual, just then reaffirms what we're trying to do when it comes to merging creative technology and contemporary visual arts and now also other forms of art that exist um, within the digital
0: Yeah, I I wanted to ask you about that. What is the difference between digital art and art that is digitized, you know, that exists in real life (laughs) and is presented in a digital way? You know, what are these two types of works communicating? Like I think of Grace Mokalapa, who I know as she was on an episode a few episodes ago. And, you know, she's a drawer and a painter and a sculptor. So for example, someone like her, like how does this physical work that is made in real life relate to work that
1: is digital? Okay, so firstly, I'm going to say let's like unpack or understand the digital and understanding what that might be. Often when you think about some forms of digital art, there's art that's been created using digital tools. So artwork, for instance, much like um, Natalie, who makes video art, her work is work that's then been uploaded and displayed online however it doesn't require a network connection you know what i mean it doesn't require um the internet to exist yes but it's been created with digital tools or digital technology okay and then you have something like web vr that is kind of digital-born and is a is computable art. Is an art that, that relies on data sets, that relies on ones and zeros. The same way that other forms of digital art do, because at the end of the day, that's what makes it digital, is that at its core essence, it's, it's a set of binary. But when you're looking at work like Grace, and I think the inclusion of her work, even though she's a painter, is really because of, in this show is her relationship to space and her relationship to the vastness and expansiveness of space in relation to what I was hoping to achieve curatorially. But then when you work with an artist like Niyi, who's from Nigeria, who makes 3D avatars, once again, that work's been created with a digital tool, but doesn't necessarily have to live online. That could then live as a print in a gallery space, in a physical gallery space. So they are these two kind of converging um, ideas of what digital art might be. But the whole conversation about digital art, post-internet art, uh, that's a conversation for another day.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, if you think that this next question is maybe going too far into that, you can tell me. But, you know, you spoke in your very introduction about the relationship between presenting digital work, both online and offline.
1: There is an artist who's part of the coexistence, Daniel Malone, and he... It all these beautiful, figurative landscapes of bodies or of objects that exist um, synchronously together. But what intrigued me about his practice that may not have been part of his practice was these video diaries that he was doing, that he was recording every day during kind of life during COVID-19. And... I'm super intrigued by artists who are taking some form of ownership of the digital feeds, tools, platforms at their disposal to curate, to put together their own identities, and then using that as a form of representation, or rather this contemporary manifestation of what it's like to be someone who's making art during the 21st century. Mm. And I want to engage with work that is using those platforms, using those channels, and show them offline or show them in the gallery space. Even though they weren't necessarily meant as digital art, they employ the tools of the digital, they employ the platforms of the digital to make their work or to show their work or to showcase their work. I think it's it's so fun. It's challenging, but it's super fun to be like, how do I take something that really should be experienced through a screen and then put it into the gallery space?
0: I think that leads nicely into your artistic practice. How do your interests as an artist contribute to your role as a curator or vice versa?
1: I guess my interests as an artist lie wholeheartedly in my own relationship, engagement, and history with the internet especially as a Black body who doesn't necessarily relate to conventional ideas of culture and tradition. That's the truth. Many people harp at me about it because they're just like, uh, Brooklyn, you're too Black for the white kids or you're too white for the Black kids. And it's just like, I'm sorry, but I grew up mm-hmm. on the internet. And on the internet, like we were just living our lives as like avatars Creating our own ecosystems. And from that, it's my own personal exploration, navigating the internet that drives what I'm trying to do both at Tomorrow, but also curatorially, and seeing how a lot of the tools that I had initially used have just been reshaped as new kind of renditions of what they were before. So if you're looking at something like MySpace that then moved itself into Tumblr, that then kind of has been more subtracted and now exists as something like Instagram or even Pinterest and seeing how artists are adopting these forms of social networks distributed networks it's just it's fascinating (laughs) it's fascinating and every single step of that journey is a new form of future archival you know what I mean like it's like how can we then with this current moment in time I'm interested in like. How are we then gonna present it in the future? Because obviously a lot of it would be redundant, but it was so impactful and so important. Like Twitter, I live on Twitter every day. I love Twitter because it's it's a cultural movement. like, things happen on Twitter that shift governments. You know what I'm mean? saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like conversations are happening that then like change legislature, it's crazy.
0: Um but as a visual person does it feed your intellectual thinking as opposed to like a visual inspiration both The thing is
1: it's both. Oh okay. It's really both. It's really both because visually once again artists are just like yo I'm never going to get into the gallery space. But why do I need the gallery space when I have Twitter? Like I can easily get 20,000 likes in a day versus Sending how many, so many kids are just sending emails to galleries trying to get their work in. I'm like, you know, it's hardly going to happen that that, that that happens. Whereas now, personally, as a digital curator or as a curator, and even just thinking about other, other institutions who are just like, yo, but have you seen this person make art? How they're using the internet to kind of spark dialogue and spark like new forms of art making and art presentation. So it's definitely both a visual, there is this visual aspect that drives me, but then there's also this kind of messaging behind it, this discourse, this dialogue that's that, that happens all the time. Mm. That I'm just like, wow, these kids are just like, not even kids, like anyone, like everyone's just like, yo, this belongs to me, this is my product, this is my material, and I can then shape it or form it in whatever way I want
0: to mm. I'm not on Twitter. Well, I am on Twitter, but I don't really, I don't go on. Like the only thing I do is if there's like been an accident or something, a road accident. But um, I think I must, I think I must follow you and then like look at people you're following because I think it's yeah, so vast. So it's so vast yeah. that you like, how do you know even where to begin? You know, who do you, to who That's to follow? The thing.
1: And- That's the thing. This is so interesting because like, I'm not on Instagram. Like, I don't care about Instagram for shit. Like, Instagram is just a really, it's just so nice. Like, it's not real. Like, Twitter's the streets. Like, Twitter's like, (laughs) yo, like, people are fighting on Twitter. People are bringing about change. Whereas just, like, that change then is kind of packaged into this uh, marketing material that exists on Instagram. Mm. So it's just like, ah, yeah, cool. That's a really nice picture of, like, a protest, but really, the protest was initiated from like kind of engagement via twitter and If you think about like how so many people are getting cancelled yeah. <laughs> because of how fast and how reactive Twitter is, and of course, there are some forms of toxicity that that exist on Twitter. I'm not even gonna lie like being on Twitter you have to kind of be mentally prepared Mm. because there's a lot of trauma that you're taking on every single time you're swiping through the feed. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of bigotry. There's a lot of homophobia, but there's also a lot of acceptance, a lot of equality, a lot of just going through a feed and seeing like queer black bodies share a thread of how beautiful they are in a space where they can just thrive and, 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 Platform each other and congratulate each other and commemorate and celebrate each other. And you don't have to be a part of a community, a physical community to be a part of that. Yeah. And this is something that then drives what I'm doing curatorially. Yeah.
0: I mean, you spoke earlier about digital health and internet safety. Yeah. I wanted to ask you more about that, but it just didn't kind of, I didn't get the opportunity <laughs> at that moment. But like, yeah. is that the kind of stuff you're talking about around this like toxicity and keeping your mental health safe?
1: I mean, that's the surface level really okay. so when i speak about digital health and internet safety i'm thinking about much more in depth so how are we creating how are we creating inclusive experiences online so when you're watching a video on youtube is there captioning because obviously there might be a deaf audience who might not engage with the content because they can't hear What are other forms of accessibility for those who are other-bodied? What are other forms of safety? So as much as people obviously do kind of harp up about like Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey, Jack Dorsey is doing amazing things for Twitter by telling politicians that like, yo, I'm going to block this. Like as Twitter, we're going to block this because it's promoting hate speech. And those are the forms of net safety, net health, where we're looking at like how is the programming, how is the messaging, how is the interface and the accessibility more inclusive for Um, marginalized communities for people of color, for disenfranchised people, for people who don't have digital literacy.
0: In terms of your work, you deal a lot with, you know, human emotion, your own experiences of vulnerability and the need for human connection. Can you just tell us a little bit more about your artistic practice, the subject matter? What does your work look like?
1: (laughs) Right. So, Currently, my practice has been focused on my relationship with the Internet and also relationships that exist online or through the Internet. For the most part, still I'm interested in um, electronic communication technologies. So things like instant messaging, private messaging and the aesthetic language language of those platforms and how you can then form new kind of meanings with text, with emoticons. But those are kind of visual representations of a much broader um, relationship with our own internal feelings and emotions and experiences with each other that all then are brought about because of the internet or brought about because of the devices that we have. However, my practice is kind of changing not fully but i did mention this idea of internet health and internet safety and looking at how we can necessarily walk away from the internet and from the digital and from social media and social networking i'm trying to find spaces in the internet that allow for some form of healing but also allow for some form of breathing room i think that the internet is really just so it's so overwhelming. It's so overloading. So many people suffer from technology addiction, Mm -hmm. internet addiction, Instagram addiction, YouTube addiction.
0: Guilty. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I was definitely one of them. And through my own personal practice, uh, my own personal yogic practice, there were lots of things that I was attributing in that journey Um, with my physical body that I had experienced because of the internet. So now my practice is looking at ways in which we can find ways to find space, find healing between the code, between the lines, while still existing, because we're never going to escape the internet. It's part of our bodies, Do you know what I mean? Like, these are external limbs that are part of us. So how now do we create spaces of mindfulness, spaces of meditation and mediation, and spaces of healing online, both with the internet and for the internet?
0: So how has this COVID period and lockdown period influenced the way that you're working? Has it changed in any way?
1: Oh my God, it's been the fucking worst. Forgive my language, but no, that's how I that's feel. No, that's totally it. cool. Like, <laughs> it's just been a fucking shit show. Like Another another thing that's been really hard for me is the fact that like so many people, creators, artists, makers, business people, have taken this time to... Find themselves, or to do things, or to make things, or to just do all the things. Be productive. Be productive. So it's been really hard for me. Even just putting out these shows has been incredibly hard for me. Not because necessarily of the pandemic. I want to say I live a very isolated life personally. I I have no problem being alone for hours, days, weeks, months on end. I, I have no problem with that. However having the ability to go outside and go for a coffee when I want to, even though I've been indoors for like three months and then not having that at all has just been incredibly difficult. Yeah. Um, also wow. just really the timing of C-19 has been shit. <laughs> like, There was a big kind of transitional phase for me, both in my career, in my practice, in my academic studies, so for this to have happened at the time that it did, to say that it put a spanner in the works is an understatement um, mm. it really just yeah. fucked me over, so it's yeah. been hard, but on the other hand i've also it's also kind of taught me to think in ways that personally I had been wanting to do, but just never had the time or the capacity to. And it's forced me to do that.
0: I mean, it's completely understandable. I mean, we're going through such a crisis. I also went through the whole like, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Took out all my art materials. Was going to make a series of drawings. I yeah. Haven't touched it at all. But yeah, I, I mean, I completely understand. It's it's been really hard to. It's been to actually create. Like,
1: debilitating. Yeah, and even just besides for creating, like. It's been debilitating in the sense that you're looking at all of these people who are making stuff and then you're kind of valuing your own existence and your own identity in relation to them.
0: And I think when, when you spoke about digital health and like mental health and how the way in which we perceive other people to be living their lives and no, that's that's, it's so damaging to our mental health and it's mostly not true. It's mostly a facade.
1: No, that's definitely a part of digital health. So if you even just think about like the way in which the timeline has been created in order for us to have this endless scroll loop, it's like, I'm doing this now. Like I'm looking through these feeds and I'm looking at like these people who are making stuff and that adverse effect that it has on me mentally, it really kind of destroys my own idea of self-worth because I'm scrolling through this feed and I'm to some degree having this kind of comparative relationship with what I'm seeing online, mm. that most likely is not a true reflection of what that person whose content I'm seeing is experiencing. And I know that to be the case for sure.
0: How do you like reconcile this position of yours of being a digital artist or, or someone who's so deeply entrenched in internet culture with its negative and toxic impact as like a human?
1: I think it comes from, yeah, the things that I do outside of the internet, firstly. So as much as you can find me on Reddit and you can find me on Twitch and Discord and all of those things.
0: I don't even know what half of those are. (laughs) I know what Reddit is.
1: Yeah, as much as you can find me on those platforms, I also have had to set very important boundaries and limitations for myself, whether that's removing certain applications off of my phone whether that's setting time limits to the things that I engage with so yeah you're only going to watch youtube for 30 minutes a day and like nothing else do you know what i mean so as i was saying as I was mentioning earlier about my practice being reshaped I'm super interested in this idea of digital minimalism, and that's how I'm trying to center my practice, both from the way in which I make the work, but also the messaging behind the work both for myself as a form of like, yo, I'm dying online, I'm addicted, I'm struggling, I'm comparing, I'm thinking about why I can't be where those people are, when really I'm spending my whole week watching them.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and finding ways to like declutter my computer, declutter the content that I engage with, declutter and clean out.
0: I watched an interview with you for MozFest in 2018 and they asked you a question, which I'm going to (laughs) steal. And I don't know if you remember the answer to it, but it was really, really cool. (laughs) Oh, shit. The question was, what advice would you give for those who want to do what you do?
1: Oh, snap. (laughs) Um, so I guess the advice that I have for anyone who's really interested in doing a lot of the things that I'm doing is there is a big portion of exploration and just wanting to explore. And as I mentioned before, I live a life that's very kind of isolated, but I also live a life that's filled with observation. And I'm super intrigued by how people live and engage and interact with each other that is something that's very kind of crucial to my practice so i live my life every morning taking a sip of curiosity for what the world has to offer and what more particularly people have to offer and how they offer what they do online. So I spend most of my time just stalking people and looking at who they are and what they do and what they're about and what they're interested in and what makes them up, what makes up communities, what makes up um, factions, what makes up society. And I think that's the first point of entry into what I do. Then from the central idea of exploration and observation, I then think about how I can then work with the things that I've observed and the things that I've explored and how I can then put them together as a body of work, as a critique or a response to what they're doing, as a collection of thoughts, of moments, of movements, of gestures. And in order to get to that place of making that happen, I often think about what are the tools that I need in order to make them. And then just working with those tools. Especially at Tomorrow, we're constantly interested in the tools that we offer to artists, but we're also super interested in how they break those tools apart and how they they push them to its limits and how they take them and make them their own.
0: Brooklyn, thank you so much. That was really, really interesting. And I'm going to post all the links to the exhibitions in the show notes and on my website and, you know, social media will link everyone to the exhibitions and everyone must go look at them and spend time and immerse yourself, just get lost in this virtual space. And um, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a really fun time, of course. I really enjoy conversing like this um, to some degree candidly because it also helps me think about the things that I'm saying and how I want to express them because I work really well with text. But when it comes to communicating like this, it's really tricky for me. So thank you so much for the opportunity to share. Um, Thank you so much for the opportunity to engage with all of your listeners and audiences. And hopefully they'll be intrigued and entertained by the conversation that we had today.
0: Cool. Keep well. Thanks to Brooklyn for joining me for today's episode and to you, the listeners, for tuning in. Please share this episode with your networks on Facebook and Instagram and follow Unframed Podcast on both platforms. If you are using a podcast app like Apple Podcasts, please subscribe to our channel to automatically receive new episodes. You can also rate and review us there. Thanks. See you next time. Bye.